Welcome back, everybody, to the Alternative Ideas Podcast. This is a podcast where we're doing a series here talking about AI and its impact on the world, uh, the world as, as we see it, and in the education world in particular, because of our work with Unbound. But my name is Jonathan Brush. I'm the president and CEO of Unbound, and I'm joined today by David. David, introduce yourself to the audience once again. Uh, my name is David Rethemeyer. I am uh, Unbound's IT director and just uh, generally somebody who is passionate about uh, technology and finding ways that uh, we can use it to uh, better ourselves and uh, help do do cool things. So, yeah. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, our approach to this is that there are things that are definitely concerning about AI. I don't know if they reach mm-hmm. a level of scary, but there's some things that we should definitely pay attention to. And any uh, approach that doesn't acknowledge that is probably not super accurate or wise. On the other hand, AI is a reality. So if mm. you want to live in this world that we live in, uh, then you're going to be impacted by AI. So it behooves us to spend a little bit of time thinking critically about that. And then on the other side of the coin, there's some really exciting and interesting things that AI enables us to do. So the point here is that this podcast is really about alternative ideas. Uh, It's not that we're terrified of AI. It's not that we're super huge fanboys necessarily of AI. uh, But we do think that some critical thinking, Unbound style, is helpful in talking about AI. Now, we've covered some different topics in the past two episodes, but this episode, Dave and I were kind of comparing notes, and there's a little bit more of a positive spin on that. So if you come out of this going, these guys are big AI fans, maybe listen to episode one or two. <laughs> we do acknowledge <laughs> that there's some concerns. Um, but let's start with you, David. You had an interesting article uh, that you found today that might make you think that AI is uh, sort of already here. It's not a new thing. It's, a, it's an already thing. So tell us what you found. Yeah, so uh, I found this uh, this study that is a collaboration uh, from GitHub uh, and Wakefield Research that is uh, was surveying a bunch of different developers, and it said that ninety two percent of U.S. based developers are already using AI powered coding tools uh, at their place of work, which uh, just seemed not terribly surprising to me, but just the fact that. Uh, at least in the popular news cycle, the fact that uh, artificial intelligence or at least uh, the AI tools such as ChatGPT have only really been big in day-to-day news for probably the past six months or so. But the fact that at least among uh, developers and coders that it is already near 100% adoption rate for using it as a tool for work is super interesting. So there's that aspect of it. But I think I found to be the most interesting part of this article was that when most people, I think, would see a headline like this and go, well, I wouldn't want to be in software development now because eventually AI is just going to take the jobs of all of the software developers. But what I found really interesting was how this article framed it and how the developers actually do see it. Uh, A couple of quotes from the article. We also found that AI-powered coding tools enable individual developer productivity and greater team collaboration. And uh, they continued on, collaboration emerged as a vital aspect of the developer experience. Over 80% of developers believe that AI-powered coding tools can enhance team collaboration, improve code quality, speed project completion, and improve incident resolution. And what I think that ultimately boils down to is that, at least in its current form, 
AI is not in any danger of taking a software developer's job. What it's allowing software developers to do is to reduce the amount of time that they have to do very tedious coding tasks that an AI is going to be very good at just picking up based on context and being able to take care of for them. And they're able to focus on higher level things. The article also talked a lot about how developers have a big uh, focus on being able to upskill themselves and how AI is allowing them to spend more time learning more advanced skills because they're not having to spend as much time on these more rudimentary coding tasks that they were often having to spend time on. So I thought that this was just a really good example of how AI can help to make humans in a job that can, can be considered so technical or robotic in some senses become even more human and allow them to improve their ability to collaborate with other team members and to improve and better their own skills. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, David, the um, point that you made there with AI allows them to, it takes care of the rudimentary tasks, the rote tasks, and it allows them to kind of move into higher levels of creativity. That's a that's a common argument that you hear a lot. Uh, there's an interesting thing I was playing with as you were talking, and I was sort of thinking this through, and so maybe I'll think about it out loud here, and you can kind of uh, walk help, walk me through it. Okay. I'm in a uh, live in an old farmhouse and have been doing a lot of work on it, which is sort of an ongoing sort of sidelight of mine. In fact, yeah. <laughs> today was an interesting day <laughs> about doing some. Uh, before we came on, David and I were laughing about some of the things I was trying to get done today in conjunction with everything else. Um, and so because of that, I spent a lot of time in uh, hardware stores and specifically in Lowe's. And so, you know, at some level, I, I, more and more as I get older, I'm noticing things that we think, have you ever had that nostalgia? Maybe you haven't, David, but I think there's a nostalgia <laughs> twinge where you like look at something and you go, oh, wasn't it nice back in the days when? And, mm. um, you know, if, if you've ever watched like an Andy Griffith show and you're like, you know, back when the hardware store, when the guy was behind the counter and all those things were there. And I was like, yeah, I wonder if ever, at some point I'm ever going to sit back and go, wasn't it amazing when I stood at Lowe's and like literally everything in the building supply world was right in front of me. Like one trip, didn't have to order it, didn't have to wait for it to be shipped, didn't have to go to another town. It's all sitting there. And not only that, but almost any problem that I have, there's a solution and a way to do it better. You know, having a trouble, mm. I was putting a conduit and trying to fish lines recently. So, so Lowe's has everything you need, right? All in one place. Mm -hmm. But there's this level that people talk about that there's more and more specialization. Like people don't do – so I was listening to an interesting podcast the other day about hunting of all things. And the guy was saying that you know we live in a, a society where you do a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset and you're really specialized at doing that thing, which is interesting. It creates this opportunity for us to do these things like have a Lowe's where the supply chain, which is almost infinitely complicated, works in a way that I can walk into Lowe's and buy a – thing to fish a line and the cord to pull and the conduit and all that kind of stuff all at the same time. And at this other end of the spectrum, you've got this thing that as that happens, you're less and less connected to the outcome. And so people become more and more dissatisfied. And so I, I think there's an interesting thing here going on with AI that in one end, it, it is enabling us to do that, which allows us to do this really amazing things. But, and here's the twist in the story, David, mm. but you have to exert creative power to get fulfillment out of that. And here's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. 
you could now be so specialized that you could pay somebody else to go to Lowe's, get all the stuff and come in and do that because you work in a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset. And consequently, you will have this kind of modern dissatisfaction of not feeling like anything you do really matters. On the other hand, you can go to Lowe's and stand there and go, look at all the creative options I have because everything is right here. I could buy it today. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I have a thing, and I think it's called it's like a life pump or something like that. That is, you stick it over somebody's face and you push it down, and it sucks out there. Whatever's in their their that's uh, the obstruction in their airway, right? Huh. So it's this really crazy life saving tool that is like a thousand times more effective than a Heimlich maneuver. And I have little children in my house, and so I bought that thing and I stuck it one in my dining room above the table. Um, I stuck one in both of my vans and first aid kits and things like that. The guy that designed that went to Lowe's and Home Depot and went through the plumbing section and bought all the parts off the shelf there and then put the first prototype together. Now, hmm. see, here's the thing. You can be a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset and say, oh, like Lowe's is so um, dehumanizing. Or you can look at that and say, my human creativity now has this feast of hardware in front of me that I can build all this different kind of stuff with. Mm. Um, seems to me like there's a little bit of that going on with AI, right? So, so yes, there's going to be a lot of coders who are now out of business because they're not going to code everything from start to finish to some extent, right? They're mm -hmm. going to do a subset of a subset. On the other hand, there's going to be some other people look at that and go, well, if something can do 90% of the work, I can take this and, and be so much more creative. But that is mm -hmm. not a natural, and I guess this is my point now that I've thought this out loud. That's okay. not a natural jump. That is a a jump that requires an act of will and effort. Like mm. in other words, if if you're going to if AI is going to make you more human, you're going to have to interject will and effort to do that. And then it can make you much more human because it can enable mm. so much more creative stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you sit back and just allow it to kind of push into your space, it will dehumanize you. Because you've let it to some extent, right? Like you have mm -hmm. to consciously use it and remember that you're using the AI, not the other way around. Does that make sense as I've kind of yes. meandered my way through that? So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Because really, uh, I, I think that we've harped on this point pretty much every episode of the podcast so far, and we're probably going to continue doing it, is that AI is just an incredibly powerful tool. And right. what that tool allows us to do is that it can allow us to potentially get sucked into mediocrity, essentially, where we are just letting the AI do all of our work and all of our thinking for us. But if we know how to properly harness it, how to properly understand the fact that it is a tool, it is something for us to use to heighten our own ability to do more things, to be more capable on, on and of ourselves, not to rely on the AI's capability to do things for us, then it can allow us to ultimately advance as personal uh, individuals and also just uh, in society with technology in general. So David, there is a level here too, that this is true across the board. So you're talking about these developers, was it 92%? Was it that 92% mm -hmm. yep. of developers using AI powered computers at work? So it could be that 92% of the people that listen to this are already using AI because it's really AI that's powering Google Maps, right? I mean, do you know more about this? We didn't talk about this beforehand, so this is I'm springing this on David. But it, it, th that's the case, right? I mean, like when Google reroutes you uh, to a new route because of traffic, that's some level of AI working there, isn't it? Yeah, so I think up until uh, this point, it would have been considered machine learning more than artificial intelligence. But really, those terms have kind of gotten conflated to some extent. So, yeah, it what is 
to some extent, yes. That's actually the point that I was trying to make, though. So machine learning. So I don't know that there's like written down anywhere, but David is is kind of the bright dividing line between machine learning and AI. Is it language? That has been at least the differentiator for what most people mean when they contrast the two terms. Because, for example, the autocorrect on your phone is using the same type of logic that ChatGPT is using to some extent is really what's happening. It's just the autocorrect on your phone is not necessarily talking to you, whereas ChatGPT is able to sound and seem a lot more human-like, and so it seems more intelligent than the machine learning that's on your phone that suggests words for you. I was trying to run a parallel here in my mind, again, sort of thinking out loud, which is that to some extent, like, you know, if you have pets, you've got some machine learning going on in your life, right? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, like, maybe more specifically, if you're using a dog, like a service animal, right? So, so like, you've got a dog there that, that is, I, mean, I was wondering if there's, a, there's some parallels to think about here, like, cause, cause a, a dog has an active intelligence and yet doesn't have language. Uh, so, so therefore the dog does, some things that you can't do can certainly communicate with you in a, in a, in a specific way, right. Um, can be taught to do some pretty high level stuff and yet still without that lack of language. And, and my analogy is going to break down a little bit here, but lack of language, mm. it, it's clear that it's not human. Um, I'm wondering if AI now, now it's okay. The analogy breaks down because a dog is still living, right. And we're not suggesting right. that AI is living. But yet there's a little bit of that going on, right? Where AI can be taught to do some things, is really good at some things, um, but but yet still does not, I, I said language, but in this case still does not have this kind of inherent ability to independently think and sort of communicate. And so there's a, a real gap between the two. Uh, this is not my new story, mm. but I watched a, uh, a, and our team shared an article by a Wall Street Journal reporter who tried to change, train a, you know, on purpose, tried to train an AI to build an avatar of her and then have that avatar sit in on her meetings and answer her phone calls. And and in some cases, like for instance, the avatar was able to create a voice that fooled her bank's voice recognition system. So they got into the bank, Hmm. but it was pretty obvious that on, even though it was saying the right things on a meeting to some extent, it was a lifeless plastic version of the real thing. And people instantly like, you know, in a second realized that this was something fishy going on. Yeah. And so there's, there's, there's an interesting piece. They're kind of like you talk to a parrot, right? The parrot sounds like a person may say some mm-hmm. things that make sense, but is lacking that kind of cognitive spark that puts those things together. So hmm. mm-hmm. anyhow, yeah, my, my, uh, Stories were not so much stories, but there's two companies, David, that I think are pretty interesting. One's Convey.com. I don't know how you actually pronounce it. It's C-O-N-V-A-I.com. And um, mm-hmm. there's like – there's a, this is one of those interesting two sides of a to- coin thing here. So so my understanding mm-hmm. is Convey is, a, is an AI engine that basically allows you to build NPCs in gaming environments. Uh, mm-hmm. But NPCs that are running with an AI behind them. So I think, you know – uh, if you've dealt with an NPC in 
a video game and they sort of say the same thing, you can get them to say the same lines. And and Mm -hmm. I'm probably portraying my age because the last (laughs) NPCs that I interacted with a lot in a video game were probably in Zelda. So that gives you some idea. Um, Don't worry, they're still making those games. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But but now you've got this kind of really kind of deep conversational AI. And so I think Mm -hmm. there's two things here. One, it, it sort of, moves my prediction forward that we're about to live in zombie land, right? Where, you know, if, mm. if, if you're playing a video game and it was compelling before because you were playing with your friends and now the NPCs sound like your friends um, or at least mm. are able to, you know, you actually have, you know, people are having arguments with AI and trying to convince AI that, you know, it's biased about abortion and things like that. And they're having legitimate conversations, at least that are legitimate in the sense that they're entertaining on the other end. If you can imagine mm-hmm. doing that in a you know in a, in a video game with an NPC, all of a sudden your ability to to immerse yourself in a world that's not real becomes much more significant, and that can be a bit scary. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, I was looking at this and thinking, you know, if you're out there and you're the kind of person that looks at Lowe's and says, "Look at all the possibilities," uh, I think there's some really interesting possibility to create stories, um, mm-hmm. and maybe in games and stuff with these NPCs. And you don't have to be, uh, to your point, David, you don't have to be this massive programmer to be able to make that work, right? I mean, now you just, Mm -hmm. you know, you just use the AI, so... Right. Yeah. And well, what's interesting is that you could uh, look at some, for example, like big open world games where there has been a lot of focus over the years on trying to make the uh, non-playable characters uh, in the environment react as realistically as possible to the things that your character is doing, because ultimately your character in the game uh, has like total free will and is probably pretty powerful because that's just typically how games work and uh, can do all sorts of ridiculous things. And so the uh, the developers just do everything they can to just try to figure out how to make the uh, make the non-playable characters react as realistically right. as possible to whatever is happening. And so now if they're able to have an AI where basically in the background you can just imagine them putting in a chat GPT prompt where it's just you're an NPC, like a non-playable character in a video game. You see the main character suddenly you know jump to the top of a you know 10-story building you know how do you react and they have they react just like that and so it can create some really interesting possibilities for that but it yeah to your point could also make it uh so realistic that uh we're talking about getting closer to ready player one frankly right And, and there's an interesting aspect here where there's you know the gaming application of this is pretty interesting but um the, on the site for Convay or Convay or whatever it is, is, uh, you know, the conversational AI, AI for virtual worlds add unlimited knowledge to make your character an expert. And what's interesting is they have an avatar, but looks like a nurse here. Uh, says, and then the question, what is the best way to treat a fever? And the avatar is saying, the best way to treat a fever is to get plenty of rest, drink plenty of fluids, take over the counter medications, hmm. blah, blah. So, I mean, this is also an interesting piece where it's like, think of a low store where you have all these NPCs sitting on the ca- on the thing, or maybe various pieces of NPCs, not to get too weird, uh, sitting mm-hmm. on the shelf. And now it's like, you can look at this and go, oh, great. Now there's no people to talk to. Only, uh, only bots are going to be talking to me. Or you can look at that and say, oh, wow, there might be some really interesting ways we could help people. How could you, you know, yeah, I'm wondering, David, if this is like, you know, did... Did an ancient storyteller at some point go, oh, man, 
I used to be able to enrapture an audience with my tales of heroism and tragedy and love. And they would sit around the campfire and hang on my every word. And now they're all just sitting there with their noses buried in a book. You know, I mean, like, because hmm. there's some aspect of that, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. like if you had to, mm-hmm. if you had to convey knowledge, or if there was a, a teacher, you know, I used to keep in the Greek uh, or the in Athens, I used to keep a class of students hanging on my every word as I, you know, practice my high art of rhetoric and mm-hmm. deliver this information to them. And now they're all just mm-hmm. walking around with scrolls. Um, hmm. There's this aspect of. There is a loss of human interaction, right? If, if the only way for you and I to convey knowledge to people is to talk to them live and in person, well, that's a pretty high human interaction. But if we really want to take something that is really important and preserve it, we would write it down in a book. Well, that preserves it in a very interesting way, but it also unavoidably leaves out the human connection. My shelves, my walls are full of books of people that I've never seen in person, wouldn't recognize if I found at, if I tripped over them and I've never had an, an conversation with, and yet I've, mm-hmm. I've learned and been able to, you know, benefit from their knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting to think of like, would an NPC be a book? You know, like you put mm-hmm. all your knowledge into a book mm-hmm. and now it's almost an interactive book that your, you know, descendants, other people could get your knowledge out of. Um, that might be an interesting way to think of AI as a repository of information rather than some scary, you know, Skynet thing. But hmm. Um, the second thing I looked at again, not a new story was, uh, and again, I don't know why, I guess all the good names are taken, but Lalamu <laughs> studio, Lalamu, L A L A M U studio. Um, close enough. Yeah. Close enough. This is a little <laughs> bit freaky. You can take pictures of anything and you can upload it here. You can then take audio of anything and then you can make the picture save the audio. And when I say picture, I mean like you can take a picture of a painting and the painting will all of a sudden have animated lips. Uh, you can take a picture of a doll and the doll will now have animated lips um, and it will say whatever it is. And of course, there's some really wild stuff here where they've got like Bart Simpson um, and, you know, and Homer Simpson and then take a picture of the doll. And now the doll is talking like Homer Simpson. Uh, the site is pretty interesting to play around with. But again, there's some really interesting two sides of coin like, hello, mm-hmm. fake on command. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I can take a picture of David. Somebody could take a picture of our podcast, David, a still picture pulled from a YouTube still. And mm-hmm. then it can make you Bart and me Homer, and we would be able to say whatever they said, and our lips would move and look like it. Now, this uh, particular studio at the moment, it's not hard to tell. I mean, it's it's enough to suspend disbelief. Um, it's enough to make you do a double take for a second, right. but then you're like, oh, okay. But, yeah, but you can see there's a little bit of syncing problems and a little bit of blurriness that you can sort yeah. of see. But, you know, it's for entertainment it's not enough to actually make you think that david sounds like homer simpson um mm-hmm. but it it would be enough to be pretty entertaining so so that's one side the other side is i mean this is fascinating right you could take you could take two dolls you could set them up or you could take two puppets or you could take just whatever you could take two pictures you could paint a picture mm-hmm. set them up uh stick a camera on them uh then run some audio maybe even have AI generate some stuff. And then all of a sudden your people could be talking. Uh, so the other side of this is uh, you don't need a movie studio to provide, to, to create some pretty compelling mm-hmm. scenes at the moment. And if, and if you're out there and you see the low store as, you know, all of a sudden, instead of having to be a $40 million studio executive in Hollywood, um, I literally can start creating stuff that Hollywood can barely dream about mm-hmm. almost for free. Um, it kind of 
changes the game a little bit. So yeah. I don't know, David, are you about to you about to take some pictures of some dolls and get into the <laughs> making business here? So I don't think so. But what this makes me think of is just all of the really the young kids out there and just like the high the students who are just interested in getting into some kind of filmmaking or storytelling, but are you know they can't afford high end uh, film equipment or they don't have uh, friends to cast uh, in acting roles or anything like that. But they have a computer where they could use some of these tools and they could start out doing that. Uh, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, you can you know look up uh, stories online of kids who just uh, make unique like uh, stop motion or just uh, interesting little concept short films just on YouTube, just in their spare time. And then suddenly uh, movie studios and uh, executives take notice of just the talent that you can develop just with your home computer, with the resources that you have and suddenly you're able to jump into the industry just because of what you're able to learn at home if you're willing to take the uh, initiative to do it. Uh, the most recent example of that is uh, in the most recent uh, Spider-Man movie Across the Spider-Verse which is just an absolutely gorgeous movie uh, just with the way that it's animated. Uh, there is a short scene, probably like 30 seconds or so, that is Lego stop motion. And uh, the way that uh, that was done is that it was actually uh, a young kid that uh, took the entire trailer for the first movie and he stop motion animated the entire thing by himself out of Lego. And so then they, the creators of the movie saw it and they loved it so much that they had him do an entire scene for the next movie. And I'm sure that he got paid a ton of money to be able to do that. And so uh, I can, you know, only just think of if there are some young people out there who are able to figure out how to creatively use some of this stuff, then they could really be pushing forward some uh, really cool new ways to tell stories and to really have uh, some cool opportunities out of them. Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I don't, I think it's entirely possible now. There's a lot of people out there have been doing stop motion videos with Legos for a long time. Oh yeah. Uh, this software would make your minifigs talk, man. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like yep. if, if to combine it with that and all of a sudden your minifigs are going to talk with lips that look compelling enough to suspend disbelief since you're looking at a bunch of minifig Lego players. Anyhow, I mean, like it's mm -hmm. <laughs> we're not looking yeah. like photorealistic yeah. I mean, stuff. I mean, at that point, um, you're so, literally just like competing with the Lego movie. Right. And so I, I think that there's some really fascinating opportunities there. So young storytellers out there. Um, and and we talked about this at conventions and conferences. Um, I've talked to this with uh, when I've been speaking and talking to people. Uh, look, th there, there's going to be a divide. And, and we've used this analogy before, but to me, this feels an awful lot like the late 90s, early 2000s as the internet started to arrive, excuse me, uh, mid 90s uh, and then and late 90s as the internet started to arrive in storm, right? Um, there's going to be a divide of three things here. There, there's going to be the people who don't adapt and they're mm -hmm. going to increasingly find themselves completely disenfranchised from the world. Um, and then they will, some of them will stay disenfranchised and some of them will sort of reintegrate when the usability becomes so high. So I, I noticed this, that there's a generation uh, about my parents' age where some of them never got comfortable with the internet and technology. And some of them came back when the iPad and the iPhone came out because all of a sudden Apple made the interface so easy that anybody could do it, right? So so that's mm -hmm. one aspect. There's people who will adapt enough to do whatever it is they have to do. Um, and I've generally been in this camp, right? I can use technology, but I've never been fascinated by it. So I can, I can use and master what's in front of me and I can figure it out and I'm willing to figure it out, but generally to accomplish an, an end 
you know, it's a means to an end. And so I'll use it for my job. I'll use it for whatever I'm doing. Um, but then there's another group and that's the group that says that's cool. And they mm-hmm. start jumping on it early and they start going, what could you do with this? Those are the people, you know, if the first group of people are the ones that are like, I'm going to call a plumber, they'll go to Lowe's to get my stuff. Right. And the second group of people is like, okay, I need a pipe. I'm going to buy a pipe and I'm going to get it and go back in and put the pipe in. And then the third groups of people that look at those and go, I wonder if you took this pipe and attached it to that over there and added that over here and did something in a new way. If you wouldn't need to do this stuff anymore this way, that's mm-hmm. it. That's the third group. And if you're a younger person listening to this or you're a parent of a younger person listening to this, look, there is this, this is that kind of place where the bar for entry is real low all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. the tools are real available. And if you're willing to jump in and start messing around, you're likely to be in the driver's seat for this technology in the next five years. Um, and so that's, that's an exciting turn. All right. So Jonathan, I think for, uh, concluding today's episode, uh, I thought that it would be really fun if we went into the very practical side of AI and discussed, uh, how we individually have ended up using it. Because, uh, I think our listeners might find that interesting because neither one of us are the most technical people. Right. Uh, I am in well, IT and I, I like technology. I, I think, I think that you qualify on that side for sure, David. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, it, it depends. There, there's levels to this i i don't have a degree in it and i like my day job does not involve coding of any kind i don't know how to do that but uh, just to be clear for all this listening though however if i have a technological problem david's the first person i call so i mean (laughs) there is that aspect of it as well and so and david claims that just the very act of calling him solves most it problems and there's actually something to that so there may be some more ai going on that we don't know about behind the scenes here but yeah carry on david carry on so So, uh yeah i think that's a good transition it's just, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, you and I as, uh, you know, different levels of uh, technical competence uh, have been able to use a little bit of AI in just our day to day lives and in our day jobs. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, why don't you start? Because I think that you've been okay. using it in a probably a broader variety than I have. Um, and then my use of AI has been a little less direct and a little bit more administrative. Um, okay. And so, so yeah, start out and say, what are some of the things that you've been using it for? Uh, I don't know. Let's go professional and personal. So professionally, how are you using it? And then personally, how are you using it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm down for this. Uh, so I think the most common professional use I have for it is that uh, for Unbound, I do a lot of the paid advertising. So I handle creating and managing a lot of the ad campaigns that go out on Facebook, Google, and other platforms. And uh, that requires uh, some level of copywriting. Now, we have some people on our team who are excellent at copywriting, but uh, their bandwidth is limited. And sometimes, you know, uh, I have to come up with stuff on my own and I have to fill in, you know, especially if it's a Google add like you know four dozen different headlines for different uh for different ad variations and so i found that uh, ai tools like chat gpt are really helpful for being able to generate a bunch of those that i can then look at i can pick out the specific variations that i think are interesting and i can adapt them into something that i will actually end up using very rarely does it spit out something first time that i am totally comfortable with immediately sending off and publishing into campaign Pain, but it's something that gives me a great starting point to work with where if the blank Google Doc or just the bunch of blank fields is not nearly as intimidating when I have a bunch of stuff to work off of. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I think uh, kind of the transition point where this is something that I've used for both professional and personal is uh, working in IT. I think uh, uh, pretty much all of my friends who've worked in IT have agreed with the definition that a lot of your job in IT is uh, being a professional Googler uh, in being able to just research the details of a problem and being able to figure out the solution to it, even if you are not an expert in whatever thing might have broken necessarily. And so uh, what I've found is that uh, tools like ChatGPT and Google Bard are really useful as uh, sort of Google replacements for things where you can just put in some of your queries uh, in there and you can just have uh, those things just look up answers for you. You can you have to be careful with those because you do need to go and verify them uh, for sure. But uh, I'll use a personal example of something I literally just used this morning was uh, I put into GPT-4 that uh, I wanted to run a half marathon race uh, sometime in September or October in the St. Louis area. What are my options for races that I could sign up for? And so then it searched, it worked for a few minutes, and then it gave me a list of a bunch of them and it gave me links to all of the different uh, races that I could go to and I could sign up for. And so that way, I didn't have to do nearly as much going around to a bunch of different websites trying to uh, figure out which races actually have half marathons and which ones are different lengths. It just spat out a bunch of them for me that I could look between right there. So that was super useful for me. Yeah, as you were talking, I was reminded that there are a few things I've done. Um, it's interesting. I find that ChatGPT hallucinates so badly that it is hmm. completely useless for some really serious research, right? Hmm. Um, in mm-hmm. other words, research about things you don't know anything about. Yeah. However, it's yeah. particularly helpful for research that you do know something about. So mm-hmm. I give a lot of presentations. I do a lot of talks and speeches and 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 things like that in public re- and and uh, speak professionally for different things. And so I don't like to repeat content. Uh, some speakers have like a couple, four or five boilerplate things they use again and again. Uh, generally, if I'm in front of an audience, uh, there's some themes I hit again and again, but I'm often custom crafting that for that audience. This is particularly true for our students. So for Capstone, we had, um, it's a leadership event that we do. We have a year two track that changes every year, excuse me, an advanced year track that changes every year uh, for our second and third year students. And uh, this year I was coming up with new content for that. And we were talking about resilience and I was talking about how there was wars for every generation. And so, you know, this is a, an interesting place where you'd have to Google and say, you know, Google how many, this war and how much time was between the civil war and the next war. And, you know, mm-hmm. you go to chat GPT and say, how many wars have the United States fought? Uh, what was the interval between those wars? When was the start and end date? How long did they each last? Um, now, I know enough about all those things that I could eyeball it and pretty quickly decide, you know, there was no phantom war in there. Like, you know, there mm-hmm. wasn't the, you know, war with Canada or something like that. Right. ChatGPT can do some weird stuff like that. Uh, in this mm-hmm. case, they were all accurate. I, I knew all the wars. I, you know, a cursor looked at the dates so like, oh, yeah, this all sound reasonably close. Um, and so I knew they were correct. Um, and so something that would have taken me like a half an hour of research took less than three minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of a big deal. That was going to sound a little odd, and so bear with me for a second. But okay. as somebody who supervises a lot of people, I get asked to write a lot of reference letters, um, which oh, I'm delighted okay. to do. But it takes an inordinate amount of time. And mm-hmm. so I've gotten into the habit of asking people, send me the letter you want written. Like, write the letter about yourself. Hmm. And then I will substantially rewrite it to the point that they don't even look the same. But I tell people this helps me a lot because I know what it is that you want highlighted. And then I will make sure that I either highlight that if I agree with it or change it. 
And so okay. that helped me save a lot. But we're still looking at a process that can take a while, particularly because sometimes people send me five pages of stuff when, you know, a, a reference letter is generally two or three paragraphs. So mm -hmm. taking five pages and condensing it down, still a long time. So I found a couple of situations where I had some of these longer things and I took them into chat GPT and said, condense this down to a smaller letter for me and pay attention to, and then highlighted the things that I wanted chat GPT to pay attention to. And they huh. gave me a version. And like you said, David, uh, the version I wrote had almost nothing in common with the chat GPT letter. Like when it was done, mm -hmm. it was very mm -hmm. different, but ChatGPT had sort of collated all that stuff and pushed it down. And so a process that would have taken 45 minutes took about 15. That's a big hmm. game for me when mm -hmm. I have to write a yeah. bunch of these things a week. Um, and I want them to be very authentic. And again, my final letter looked nothing like ChatGPT's. In other words, there was mm -hmm. very few things that were the same. So I felt it, it's much, very much an original letter, but it was an original letter that came from a, a sort of earlier format that would have taken me a long time to condense and ChatGPT was able to do it really fast. Um, yeah. So th there's, you know, I, I, if I'm in a situation where I've got to write four letters in a week, 45 minutes each, and I can take move that from almost four hours down to less than an hour, that's a major gain in my in my week and allows me to write more reference letters for more students um, and do them in a personal way. And, and that's a pretty good in that sense. Back to our original part of the conversation. That's something where technology is allowing me in some ways to be more human, right? To have more yeah. close human interaction with somebody and do it in an authentic way, uh, which wouldn't be possible just by sheer time if we had done it the old fashioned way. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, David, I think we are kind of out of time. We've had, had a lot mm -hmm. of fun going through a bunch of different things. I feel like I spent a little bit more time thinking out loud on this one. So uh, thanks <laughs> for bearing with me and helping me do that. Um, but why don't you take us out of here, David? Absolutely. Wow. Well, uh, if you're uh, if you're listening into this uh, and you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, we will be following this up uh, pretty much every week for the rest of the summer with new episodes where we're going to be finding new interesting stories about AI, giving our uh, alternative ideas about them and uh, just joining you with more thoughts. And uh, if uh, if you would like to learn more about uh, what we do uh, outside of this podcast, which is we specialize in giving young adults and education that allows them to think differently and be equipped to be more human in the real world, then you should check us out at beunbound.us, uh, where you can learn more about what we do and some of the ways that we help uh, we help young adults to live purpose-driven lives uh, that we are really excited about. Until next week, have a great week, and we'll be back with some new alternative ideas in the future.